the widely circulated report of Russians driven into the marshes and perishing there is a myth. No marsh was to be found anywhere near. General Eric Ludendorff. History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and I hope you're having a great Sunday. It's time again for our Sunday Book Club, and today we're looking at the third section of Barbara Tuckman's World War I Chronicle, The Guns of August. Now, over the past two weeks, we've looked at sections of about 125 pages each, starting with the lead-in to the war, the mobilization, and now we've reached the first actual combat actions. And interestingly enough for me, this is where, for the first time, it bogs down a little bit. I think that's because while Tuckman is an amazing storyteller and a great historian, and is especially effective when describing the personalities, especially the big personalities, of the war, she does, as anyone would, have some trouble conveying, I don't know, immediacy when it comes to showing the movements of huge armies. Numerous times during reading this section, I got lost in which corps was which and where. Last week I suggested that you have a map handy. And you need one again, but this time you almost need a map with the positions of the various armies. Now that's not something most of us are going to do, so we make the best of it. I don't mean this as a critique of Tuckman or of the book, because it is necessary. And it does give some idea of the grand scale, especially of those opening days of the war. But as I said, for me, it did bog things down a little bit, and I got fewer takeaways from this section than I did from earlier sections as well, but we'll get to a few of those in just a minute. One thing that is clear, at least to me, throughout this section as we deal with the Germans fighting the the Russians and the Germans fighting the British and the French and the Belgians, of course, we can never leave out the Belgians, is that much like in the American Civil War, the command of each army, the generals, were fighting the last war and had no real concept of how devastating using the previous war's tactics would be against the current war's weapons. Now that tends to happen a lot in history and it definitely happened in World War I which is why there were 20 million killed. And of course, in the early days of the war, it wasn't just the generals who were using the old tactics. It was obviously the men on the ground. One section that stood out to me, or one episode that stood out to me, involved the first contact between the British Expeditionary Force and the Germans. It happened near Mons on the 22nd of August, 
when the British encountered the Germans for the first time. And it was, interestingly enough, a cavalry encounter. And this is how she describes it. She says that the Germans were hampered by their long lances, and a good many threw them away. The British killed three or four, and left the somewhat restricted field victorious. Captain Hornby, the leader of the squadron, was awarded the Distinguished Service Order as the first British officer to kill a German with the new pattern of cavalry sword. So yes, the first contact between the British and German armies in the first of what we would call a modern war involved lances, swords, and horses. That was going to change very quickly. Another place that I think Tuckman maybe could have done a little better job, again, not being critical, but at least a little bit better, was in the chapter, The Cossacks Are Coming. Now, I really enjoyed that chapter. I have an interest in Russia to begin with, at least Imperial Russia, and it's one of the few sections that really deals more with that than with the French and British aspect of the war. But for a chapter that's titled The Cossacks Are Coming, she doesn't talk much about the Cossacks. She talks about the fear that the people of East Prussia had of these notorious cavalry riders coming through, but she really doesn't go into any detail about them or any real actions that they were involved in or even much of their history and she does cover some of the history of the other units so I think that was a missed opportunity especially if you're going to put your focus of the chapter at least with its title on the Cossacks I'd like to see a little bit more there another interesting aspect of this section and really of the whole book for me though not totally surprised having been in the military myself is the degree to which so many of these officers just hated each other and how often subordinate officers would completely ignore orders that came from above and do whatever they wanted. Now there were times, especially against the Russians, where this proved to be very, very wise because the command was terrible and the commanders on the ground, the frontline commanders, knew better what they were doing. There were also times where it was disastrous. This is true in any war. It's probably happened in every war throughout history. But especially in the initial conflict between the Germans and the Russians in East Prussia, it seemed like it happened every day. That entire section of the war, section of the book, almost all happened by happenstance. But again, the fog of war sometimes causes that. Now, I know I seem to be rambling a little bit rather than you know, laser-focused on certain sections. That's because, again, in this section, it was hard for me to laser in on anything. It meandered a little bit, and again, 18th Corps, 23rd Corps, left flank, right flank. Okay, I've read that kind of stuff before and will continue to. She doesn't do it quite as well as perhaps a former military officer would. So, in any case, I still love the book. Finally, I'm glad we were introduced to Ludendorff 
and von Hindenburg, the two men who basically saved Germany in the East and became cult heroes, especially Hindenburg, became a national hero up until the day of his death. He also helped pave the way, sadly, for Hitler's rise to Chancellor. And it was the abilities of Ludendorff and Hindenburg that Hitler used as evidence that clearly Germany was betrayed and it wasn't because their generals weren't good that they lost the war. And that started his revision of World War I to the German people that helped cause the rise of Nazism. I'm going to get a lot more into that in an episode coming up on World War I Wednesday. So, in any case... That is an admittedly scattered look at this section of the Guns of August. In some ways, if you've ever been part of a book club, this feels more like a book club discussion to me than the other two did that were a little more structured because typically, especially once you start drinking during a book club, it can go completely off the rails. I don't think this went completely off the rails, but it wasn't exactly like one of our normal episodes. So, I also want to let everybody know, since we'll be coming to the final section of the Guns of August next Sunday, and therefore getting ready to start another book, that the next book that we'll be looking at, so you can have a chance and have some time to pick it up, is James McPherson's classic, Battle Cry of Freedom, about the American Civil War. It is the best one-volume work ever written about the Civil War. So that's going to be what we'll be doing once we finish with the Guns of August. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you're finding this podcast both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll help us create more content and go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free. Thanks again.